This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey and other things that happen on the ice. Uh, I am Ben Goetz, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joined on the line by my colleague Dave Shane. We're going to talk about the first two games the Golden Knights played in the Edmonton bubble over the course of this past week, as well as something that uh, two Golden Knights players decided to do. Uh, Before we get into everything, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com, and Deal Dash. Also, make sure to please check out all our work at ReviewJournal.com. We're trying really hard to put out some great stuff for you guys, uh, despite the fact that we're doing a lot of it over Zoom calls. Uh, Also, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. It helps people find us, and it is greatly appreciated. Uh, Dave, the two of us have been able to watch hockey for like more than a week now. What has it been like to uh, watch actual things happen on the ice between multiple teams? Pretty cool. I feel like it's uh, like the old college football New Year's Day where you can like flip channels and in between commercials and there's always a game on. And, you know, like after about four or five hours, your your eyeballs start to like turn into hockey pucks instead of like, you know, actual eyeballs. So it's great. It's cool. You know, I mean, like we've said before, to, to think where we were five months ago and where we are now, it's it's pretty wild. No, it's absolutely crazy. And I am loving, as you mentioned, kind of the all-day setup that they've done so far where we've got the play-in games and round-robin games kind of just stacked all up against each other where uh, I think we're recording this on Tuesday morning. For like the third straight day, there is hockey basically from uh, 9 a.m. until like, you know, 9.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, which is just amazing. So, you know, as Dave kind of mentioned, I've certainly because I have NHL you know, TV, which is only, I think, like six bucks for the playing round and round robin games, just been flipping between game to game to game to catch all the action. It's been awesome. It's been exciting. And we're going to talk about the Golden Knights part of it 
Uh, but first, as I kind of mentioned off the top, I do think we have to discuss kind of the big topic that took place yesterday before the Golden Knights game against the Dallas Stars, which is the fact that uh, Golden Knights Ryan Reeves and Robin Leonard knelt during the Canadian and American national anthems yesterday to protest racial injustice uh, alongside Dallas Stars Tyler Sagan and Jason Dickinson. They were the first NHL players to kneel before a game that they actually played in. Uh, Minnesota Wild defenseman Matt Dumba was the first NHL player to kneel during the anthem period because he kneeled during the American anthem Saturday after giving a nationally televised speech before the Chicago Blackhawks and Edmonton Oilers round-robin game on Saturday. Dumba is one of the founding members of the newly formed Hockey Diversity Alliance, and he just touched on, you know, the need for increased diversity in the sport. Uh, So I want to preface this conversation by saying that we know that this is an extremely, extremely polarizing topic right now, Uh, but this is obviously a very, I think, important news story just in and of itself we're not trying to inject our own opinions or biases or get on any sort of soapbox here by discussing this topic but it is a kind of significant development that's worth getting into and kind of our job as news people is to give you the facts we'll give you kind of the perspective of the players that participated in it and then you know ultimately everyone will kind of be left to form their own opinions, but I wanted to kind of, you know, do this along preamble just to mention, you know, we are going to be talking about it. I know that's probably going to make some people angry, but it is important just to address the fact that this happened because it would just be non, you know, non-genuine of us as reporters to ignore it. I don't know if I'm phrasing that right, but, you know, basically this is something that's also just not possible uh, to look the other way on. So for context, uh, we have to start by saying the Knights on Thursday during their exhibition game against the Arizona Coyotes uh, locked arms during the national anthem uh, in a statement also against racial inequality that was organized by Reeves. Uh, he said when asked about it on Saturday, a couple days later, that while kneeling was quote-unquote discussed as something that the team could do, uh, he ultimately wanted to do something that everyone on the team was comfortable with and he thought that if he asked everyone on the team to kneel with him that there would be at least one player that would have felt uncomfortable with that and so he didn't want to kind of pursue that for thursday well then between thursday and monday uh robin leonard went up to ryan reeves and said he wanted to kneel Reeves was actually on the same page, and so the two of them approached uh, Coach Pete DeBoer, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon, and President of Hockey Operations George McPhee, and basically said, hey, this is what we want to do. This is really important to us, and DeBoer said you know, they had his support to kind of express themselves that way. Then during warm-ups before the Stars game, Reeves talked to uh, Tyler Sagan, who attended a Black Lives Matter protest in June and has been kind of very vocal about social justice issues since the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And uh, Sagan, after talking to Reeves during warm-ups, said, hey, I'm in, I'll do this with you. And then Sagan told his teammates in the locker room that, hey, these are what uh, you know these two knights are going to do. I'm going to do it with them if anyone wants to join in. You're more than welcome. And uh, Jason Dickinson said, yep, I will do that too. Um, so that's basically the story of how that all came together last night. 
Uh, now, before you know, we kind of dive in further, I think it's important that we hear from Ryan Reeves kind of explaining his rationale on what ultimately led to his decision to kneel for both anthems last night. And, you know, I, I definitely want to start by saying in no way do I, am I trying to disrespect the flag or, or people who fought for this country. Uh, I have the utmost respect uh, for everybody that's gone over and fought and died, uh, you know, for the freedom of this country. Uh, Bill Foley, our owner, is one of the best guys I've ever met. Uh, he's the military guy. Um, so that's, that's not the message I'm trying to send. But at the same time, you know, those people go across across seas and they go to war and, um, you know, families are torn apart in these wars, uh, you know, for the freedom of this country, only to come back and find out this country isn't free for everybody. And I think that's that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know, nobody's truly, not everybody is truly free in this country. And I think um, it, it's starting to come to light a lot more right now, uh, especially with social media. It's, uh, it's kind of blown up over the last year or so. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So there's Ryan Reeves' perspective on why he decided to kneel yesterday, Monday, as we're recording this. You know, that was his response to the first question he got asked about it. Um, Dave's, what else did Reeves say yesterday that maybe jumped out at you? Or what else did you think was notable about, you know, he, Leonard, Sagan, and Dickinson's actions? I mean, I think just the strength of his words in general and the, the conviction behind them. Um, you know, he had some very strong words and a very strong take about, you know, how he feels about things and, and the way that things need to improve. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it, you know, you know, in that lane, I guess, so to speak. But I think it just stood out that, that, you know, in the past, Ryan has kind of talked to us about, you know, feeling comfortable in, you know, going with kids, you know, trying to increase diversity in hockey, whether it's through clinics and, and things like that, making sure that, that people, you know, have a minority role model to look up to and, and those sorts of things. And, and he didn't always maybe seem as comfortable, um, diving off the head or diving off the, the diving board head first and, and just really leaping into this, um, that changed Monday. I mean, he he had some very strong words and, and obviously Robin Leonard did too. And, and, you know, we, we can talk about that. Obviously we're going to, we're going to hear about, you know, what Leonard said, but I, I, I just think, you know, especially in this time for the, for the two of them, um, for Robin Leonard, who, who obviously has, you know, an interesting background, his wife being Persian, he has a, you know, a unique perspective coming from, sweden and and living here i i just think it was brave if nothing else for them to to stand up you know if nothing else for what they believe in at this point it it takes a lot of courage and and they showed it they knew what was going to happen they knew it was going to be on every tv channel in canada in america you know across the world and and for them to be the first ones you know in uniform to take a knee because Dumba wasn't in uniform. Uh, I think it, it just speaks to, you know, how strongly they felt about the, the issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to hear from Leonard too here in, in a second, but first I want to once again, kind of, you know, provide a preamble to provide context for this because, you know, as I've already mentioned and Dave kind of touched on, we're not trying to, 
I guess, quote unquote, take a stance here. We're not trying to uh, make this political. We're just trying to provide the player's perspective and let people know how they were feeling when they ultimately came to this decision. But of course, kind of, I think one of the key responses Leonard gave last night was a political answer uh, because Leonard, for people that don't know, uh, generated some controversy back in 2016 with a goalie mask he wore uh, when he was with the Buffalo Sabres for a military appreciation night in 2016. He wore a custom mask that included infantrymen from the 82nd Airborne Division and the logos of the different branches of the U.S. military. It also had a Donald Trump sticker uh, when he was uh, the president-elect at that time of the United States. Uh, And so that's kind of important context when setting up you know, what he had to say about, you know, his decision to kneel during the anthem and what it meant to him and why he, you know, chose to do it when he did it. So let's hear from Leonard right now. Yeah, uh, well, I want to say, I mean, I did uh, mistake once to put the uh, Trump sticker on my mask, something I regret now. Uh, after seeing how divisive things have been, um, but, uh, you know, I, in the end of the day, this is not politics. This is uh, human rights. It's not about politics. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, part of conversation. Everyone's talking about conversation and, you know, education and listening. But it's, you know, it's, it's time to start doing something, uh, not just to let this be a, a news cycle and uh, forget about it and do it all over again. Um, everyone should have the same chance in society. Everyone should be treated the same. And uh, <clears throat> I've seen a lot growing up. I've seen, uh, you know, my, my family's of color and uh, uh, what I've seen and how, how things are disgust me. And in the end of the day, I think uh, I love the, I love you. Uh, I love America, but uh, you know, there's uh, there's uh, a bunch of things that needs to be corrected, you know, and uh, I think they have the the power to do so. It's just about willingness to do uh, to do something about it, and it's uh, it's time for I think it's time for whites to step in a battle with the, with our brothers and sisters and and uh, make some change and uh, stop just talking about it and actually do something. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer, or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code EDGE 
or dealdash.fm backslash edge. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash edge. So there's Leonard's rationale. Uh, once again, obviously, people can have their own thoughts and opinions about what he had to say, but uh, we did want to provide you kind of, you know, his words in their entirety so people can form their own opinions off of that. Um, but now, you know, before we jump off to kind of what the Golden Knights have been doing on the ice, I wanted to touch on uh, one kind of branch of this, which is I talked to uh, one of the NHL executives who's, you know, in charge of, um, you know, diversity, social justice, outreach, and all of that. Uh, Kim Davis, who has really taken, you know, a, a strong role in the league, kind of pushing these issues. And, you know, she talked about since June when George Floyd was killed, that she really believes the NHL is experiencing a, you know, quote unquote, uh, movement, not a moment that players are actually using their voice kind of more than ever before. And she thinks that that's obviously very powerful and something, you know, great for the league to uh, tap into. Uh, Davis's official title is the executive vice president for social impact growth initiative and legislative affairs. Uh, She pointed out that basically, you know, 200 plus players and ex-players have spoken out in some way, shape, or form on social media uh, in support of social justice issues since, you know, George Floyd was killed. That's obviously, you know, outside the norm in hockey. We've certainly talked before about how hockey culture is very, you know, unified in good ways and bad because guys are, you know, taught to conform to kind of a team structure and a team identity. Uh, which has its positives and negatives, but it really does seem like more players uh, than ever before are using their individual voice to say something about issues that are important to them. Um, You know, Dave, do you think we're seeing something kind of truly different when it comes to the NHLs and its players, or is this, you know, maybe just kind of a a one-time deal? No, I mean, to be quite honest, I think Robin Leonard is probably the best example of evolution uh maybe that that we've that we started to see with the nhl and and maybe where it's going and and i'm not saying you know i'm not saying his shift is for the the right way or the wrong way like i'm not interjecting in that regard but i just think you know he himself talked about the change and and you know education and and you know, where players can go on, on any issue and, and whatever it might be. And I think we're starting to see, you know, whether it's through social media that that Ryan Reeves referred to or or other mediums that players are educating themselves and, and they want to to kind of get involved in in this issue and, and make a change. So one, you know, one of the people that I talked to, you know, as we've done our reporting on all this, Ben, is is Kevin Weeks, former goalie in the NHL and an analyst with, with NHL network. And I, I, I'm going to tell a little bit of a, of a quick story here and, and ramble for a second. So Kevin Weeks was somebody that I spoke to after Marc-Andre Fleury made his diving save and before his 35th birthday. And, and he and I had a really long conversation just about, you know, goaltending and, and Fleury's evolution. And during the course of our conversation, Kevin Weeks kind of told a a quick little anecdote and it sent my radar up at the time. And I talked to him about today. So, so I'm going to read you just really quick what he said. Um, He said that he remembered there was a time when people told him 
that he was too athletic. He was too fast. And that he's got to slow down, that he's too dynamic out there. And, and as he was telling me this in November, my, like I said, my radar goes off because those are code words. And, and I talked to him and, and essentially what the issue is and, and what I'm trying to get at is coaches are basically telling him, hey, Kevin Weeks, you're too black. And, and I asked him about that. He gave a phenomenal answer. He's so insightful and, and so thoughtful and so open about this and, and passionate, too, for obvious reasons. Um, but that's sort of what is kind of ingrained in hockey culture here, that, that things that have to get fought against. There's front office people that that maybe have things ingrained in them and 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 thoughts that that need to change. And, and Kevin Weeks talked about that, and and he talked about going forward the way the NHL needs to handle you know issues on the ice, racial epitaphs when when they're said they they need to come down hard. He said ten games, forty games, and then if you do it a third time, you're gone for a year. Hard punishments like this that that he wants to see going forward. So. You know, just to, to kind of, I mean, put all this and in, in, in put a bow maybe on your question a little bit, Ben. I mean, we've gone from, you know, people maybe whispering about it to JT Brown raising a fist in 2017 to, you know, where we are now. And, and maybe it takes a little bit. Maybe it is a little bit slow. But I do think that that the train is 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 heading that direction. And, and, and we are you know, moving that way in the NHL is, is, you know, evolving in that regard. Yeah. I think all we kind of need to, to say about it to, you know, put a bow on it, like you were kind of alluding to is yeah. JT Brown, uh, for those who don't know who's, uh, he was on the Tampa Bay lightning in 2017. He's currently, uh, on the Minnesota wild raised his fist before the national anthem is kind of a form of silent protest in 2017. And, received a you know a lot of criticism and a lot of attention for that and now you know fast forward three years later you know not only are ryan reeves jason dickinson tyler sagan and robin leonard kneeling during the national anthem you know the nhl's twitter account is retweeting those pictures and they're retweeting you know a, a quote from ryan reeves with a black and white picture of him with the hashtag uh, black lives matter and you know, the NHL in a lot of ways is still very far behind a lot of other sports organizations. And Kim Davis even admitted that to me. You look at what obviously the NBA is doing, uh, you know, Major League Soccer with what it's done during its MLS is back tournament, even some things that have gone on in baseball, you know, and the NHL in a lot of ways is still kind of behind those leagues in terms of social justice initiatives. But that tweet, I think, also represented that the league has come a very long way in the last three years from where JT Brown was kind of, you know, ignored uh, by the kind of league office itself and kind of vilified in a lot of other circles. And it'll be interesting to see how this continues to progress moving forward. Um, I hope everyone, you know, at least uh, learned something or gained a little bit of perspective after that conversation, once again, we know this is a polarizing topic, but I think it's important to at least discuss and kind of put it out in the open and then people can kind of form their own you know, ideas and thoughts from there. Now let's get shift gears to what we've you know, seen on the ice since the puck has dropped in the Golden Knights two games so far because they have defeated the Dallas Stars 4-3 to in their first round robin game. They also defeated the Arizona Coyotes 4-1 to in their exhibition game. 
on Thursday. Uh, yesterday, the Knights were actually getting smoked 3-1 to one through two periods, and then they scored four goals in the third to come out with the win. Uh, Dave, I'm curious, were you know, watching the game, what was the biggest difference uh, for you in seeing the Knights make that comeback? Well, one of the first things that stood out was just their ability to get the puck out of their own zone. Because especially in the second period against Dallas, that seemed to be, you know, where the goals were coming from. Nick Waugh obviously had, you know, a pretty glaring turnover. There was a whole lot of issues on the second goal in terms of, you know, them trying to get the puck out of the zone. And then guys leaving too early, not being able to get back in time for coverage and things like that, allowing Jamie Alexiak to walk down the the slot and beat Robin Leonard from a from a pretty uh, high high danger area. So I think just for for them to be able to to control the pace, speed it up, and and get out of their own zone cleanly, just led to you know a lot of the things that that we've seen them work on, and and especially you know the Nate Schmidt goal and jumping up, being able to to clean up that loose change. They just you know kind of seem to find some momentum, find their you know find their game, and and I guess you could in some regard point to the Mark Stone goal as being the spark that started it. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was interesting hearing Pete DeBoer talk after the game where he's like, you know, we weren't exactly discussing X's and O's in the locker room. We weren't breaking down, you know, what the Dallas Stars were doing with their defenseman that was causing issues for us. He's like, it was all effort. It was all coverage issues. And it was, you know, just getting the puck out of our own zone. And as you said, it makes sense then that Mark Stone, this kind of ultra competitor who is more than likely going to be the team's captain next year if Pete DeBoer has his wish, does a literal get-off-my-back goal where Heiskanen is just draped all over him trying to prevent him from getting a shot on uh, Ben Bishop. And Stone still uh, wills the puck into the opposite top corner for a goal that just really gets the Knights back in it in the third period, seems to give them some life cuts it to three to two. And then all of a sudden there's that Nate Schmidt goal that you mentioned, Dave, where the Knights get a turnover uh, and they go the other way and score to tie the game. And then of course we see the four checking kind of come back to life and it ends up in the fourth line and will carry a getting probably the goal of his life where he uh, gets the puck between his legs and puts it in. I mean, were you just as flabbergasted as I was to see that Will Carrier had that in his bag of tricks? Yeah, like it's got to be up there for best uh, between the legs. Cole, uh, certainly behind William Carlson. Like I was trying to think about this afterward. Then Riley Smith had one where he had like yep, Riley Smith had one. You know, but what was what was slick about it to me was to be able to control it off the wall, and he made like a little stick handle before that to kind of you know, set himself up to, to figure out what to do, whether he's going to kind of spam with it or whatever. And then just to have the kind of wherewithal. And then the um, uh, the the Jewish people have a word called chutzpah. <laughs> um, I think there was a chutzpah that, uh, that William Carrier showed to uh, to try to pull off that move. I mean, that, that takes some, um, what's another word here? Uh, Cojones. Yeah, there, that was the exact word. I wasn't sure I could say it. <laughs> um but but yeah, for him to be able to pull it off and then and then to have them go through the challenge too, because there's a risk of the challenge in potentially having a uh, a two minute power play uh, for the stars on you know on a failed challenge. 
in a 3-3 game where you're giving them a power play with five minutes left, I mean, that's a, that's a huge confidence, you know, or a, it's a huge sign of confidence, I guess, that Pete DeBoer showed in the team. And he talked about it after the game that he felt it was necessary. He, he had to show some faith, you know, in that group. One, he thought it, you know, was a good goal. But that too, he thought it was important to to back them on that a little bit. So uh, there was a whole lot with that goal, and and I, you know, I don't want to make too much of it, but it is maybe the type of thing early on that you rally around a little bit and and maybe build on going forward. Yeah. So to quick, you know, backtrack and provide uh, the context there. So yeah, Carrier scores the goal. It's waved off because the official rules that he had interfered with Ben Bishop. Pete DeBoer decides to challenge it to try to, you know, reverse the call and make it a good goal, which, you know, as Dave pointed out, uh, took a lot of guts because if he loses that challenge, not only are the Knights all, you know, not leading that game, but they're putting the Dallas Stars on the power play in a tie game. So, uh, you know, it could have been a huge reversal of fortunes there if they decided to stick with the call on the ice. But no, the goal is reversed. The Knights take the lead and then ultimately win because William Carlson adds an empty net goal to seal things. I think I said the game was uh, 4-3 earlier. It was 5-3 because they added an empty net goal. Um, but it is was interesting to hear Pete DeBoer talk about today on Tuesday about how he thinks the team can build on this game. As you, know, you kind of alluded to, Dave, he pointed out you know, there was a lot of areas where the team did not play well, especially in that second period. We touched on a lot of them. But he said, hey, at the end of the day, it was, you know, a good lesson for us, but we still came out of it with two points, which is important because they are, you know, after one kind of set of round robin games, they're in second place behind the Colorado Avalanche, who defeated the St. Louis Blues on a last second goal. The Avalanche have a tiebreaker over the Knights because they had the better regular season points percentage. But, you know, he pointed out that, hey, it was key that we still got that win. We now are two points ahead of the Dallas Stars, who are the number four seed compared to the Knights' number three seed coming into the event. So the Knights would have the tiebreaker on the Stars, and they're in a pretty good position right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't, like, fully done the math. I'm uh, Pete DeBoer is probably way better at math than I am, so I should probably trust him on this. But, you know, he, he kind of said it effectively eliminates them from, from the fourth seed as well. And I'm trying to like figure out in my head, like, well, what if they do this? You know, but I mean, if nothing else, we've we've kind of seen where some of these other qualifying, you know, qualifying around series. I guess I don't want to call them games. Um, their series uh, are headed, and maybe they get stretched out. You know, maybe the Knights are waiting for an opponent and all that sort of stuff. So, I, if nothing else, we've heard it from the start. You know, they're putting a lot into the round robin. They're they're trying to be the top seed. I mean, they're buying into the notion that if the playoffs are going to be receded, that the number one seed's going to have the quote-unquote easiest path. So if these games are, you know, not just dress rehearsals and they're actually, you know, have meeting, whether they're artificial or not, then the Knights are certainly looking at them like, like they matter. And and they, they want that number one seed. It'll be interesting because I think the two toughest games – are coming up. They're going to get a St. Louis team that if St. Louis really cares about its seeding, they're going to come out, you know, a lot more de- a lot more desperate than they were for their first game against Colorado and then they're going to, you know, obviously the Knights finish off with Colorado, which depending on how Thursday goes could be for 
you know, for everything on the line in terms of the round robin at that point. I mean, I don't know. I was kind of skeptical. I'm not a huge fan of the the setup, I guess. But, you know, it's kind of fun, kind of intrigue. There's some storylines there for everybody to follow. No, there's definitely some intrigue. So, yeah, as Dave mentioned, the Knights next play the St. Louis Blues on Thursday and the Colorado Avalanche on Thursday to finish out the round robin times TBD. Yeah, the NHL is reseeding the playoffs after each round this year, which is uh, a change. So the number one seed has basically never been more important when it comes to the uh, NHL postseason because it ensures you get the easiest matchup in each subsequent round. So, you know, it's definitely something that the Knights seem to, you know, place some importance on. And they showed that last night. Uh, and then before we kind of wrap up this podcast, I'm just curious and I want to talk to you, Dave, about what your feel on the setup has been like, because now we've watched, you know, two empty arena games featuring the Golden Knights. I've watched plenty of empty arena games featuring other teams because I can't get enough of playoff hockey right now. Uh, what's your read on what the setup has been like, what the games have looked like and what you kind of feel about, I guess, the sounds of the game, too, which is a topic that you wrote a great story on uh, last week. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the setup itself is cool, and, and they've done the best that they could to kind of create an environment, almost, you know, a TV set um, without the fans in there and, and covering it with the tarps and and all of that. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed, though, in terms of the broadcast is it almost feels too much like a regular broadcast. And, and what I mean by that is other than some camera angles and things like that, they've piped in the crowd noise and, and you just, it's so seamless. You don't even think that it's any sort of different broadcast than you've heard the last, you know, handful of years or as long as, you know, you've been a hockey fan. So in that regard, I was kind of hoping for a little bit, you know, a little bit more insight into the sounds of the game. You know, I wanted to hear players like hollering, um, during a breakout rush for the puck, tapping their sticks on the ice, or, or you know, even even some of the chirping and things that Jonathan Marchessa referred to that that I wrote about in that story. I, I, that's the one thing I feel like it has been lost a little bit, and I wish they would delve into a little bit more. But I also understand if you're putting together a broadcast and you've got a five second delay, and you you know what's said on the ice and how heated these guys get and how passionate they are about competing for a Stanley Cup that, you know, the sensor button would would probably be pretty active. Um, but that's the one thing that I feel like is missing a little bit is just, you know, some of that behind the scenes, you know, right there in in depth in in there with the players a little bit and hearing them. Yeah, you can hear a little bit like, you know, you hear, you know, over, 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 like wall, wall, wall when defensemen are talking about how they want to start the breakout out, out of their zone. But you know, overall, uh, I agree. It hasn't been kind of quite the cacophony of sound that maybe people would have expected. It is interesting to hear the players kind of talk about it. And basically, most guys have said the same thing, which is, yeah, you kind of notice it when maybe you're warming up or when you're on the bench sometimes. But, you know, when you're on the ice, kind of the competitive juices take over and you really don't focus on the crowd anyway. I mean, Paul Stasny said even for you know, sold out playoff games. He usually isn't paying that much attention to the crowd when he's actually on the ice trying to get something done. So it was interesting to hear kind of how quickly they've adapted to it, which is, I mean, obviously going to be crucial for them because one of the Knights 
key advantages in uh, every playoff matchup they've ever had so far is that you know they've had a really really good home ice advantage uh, at T-Mobile Arena in the playoffs. I believe uh, I wrote this for a story the other day, but I believe they have the second best home winning percentage in the NHL over the past two seasons. And obviously a lot of that was due to the fans and kind of the environment that they're able to create in that building. So the fact that the Knights have at least shown some ability to adapt to kind of the even playing field that is the Rogers place setup seems to bode well for them. Yeah. And I mean, it does feel a little bit first world problem to like be kind of complaining that they're doing this too well. You know, the production is too good. Um, because in a way, yeah, I mean, it, it really is a compliment to what the NHL has done. And at least just, you know, what, a week or so into this, how how well they've pulled it off so far. I mean, let's let's look at another thing, too. There was a second straight week of a whole batch of testing and zero positive tests. So, you know, good news going forward in that regard. And, I mean, just, just for them to be able to whip this up and and get this going as quickly as they did as efficiently as they have um it has been kind of cool to see i just i hope they're experimenting a little bit i i hope they they kind of figure out what works what doesn't what they can add to the broadcast a little bit you know what they can add to the environment a little bit too because like you said it, it's an interesting phenomenon to watch the players have to generate their own energy and and yeah, they get some music kind of pumped in a little bit and you see them, you know, nod their head. And and certainly we, we, we've already seen expressive Mark Stone. So so certainly he hasn't had a problem, you know, getting juiced up and, and, and finding his energy. But but it is going to be interesting, I think, going forward, you know, as these games get tighter and, and things, you know, we see incidents like the, the Winnipeg Calgary series where, you know, Matthew Kachuk goes in hard and, and Mark Shifley gets hurt and. You know, we heard terms like reckless and could have ended a man's career and things like that, that getting thrown around. And, and you go, well, how are these guys going to get up for a game? Well, <laughs> I don't think they're going to have, you know, any sort of issue, you know, generating some bad blood for each other. So, you know, all of this just going forward and and how sort of I I, I, I hesitate to use the word experiment, but how this, you know, how this big experiment is going to go forward and, and some of the changes it's just going to be fascinating to watch how they adapt. No, totally. I'm excited to watch how they kind of continue to do everything. Uh, obviously, by the time we talk to you guys uh, next uh, in the following week, the Knights will have an actual kind of playoff opponent to you know break down in when it comes to the bubble. They might have to uh, avoid that team when it comes to you know going to and fro the Tim Hortons truck moving forward, which is just kind of another fascinating wrinkle to all of this is that you will be kind of locked in the same location as your you will play off nemeses as it were um but so far yeah you have to give credit to the nhl the league and the players for how they've pulled this off so far in terms of both being safe and you know not having any positive tests come up but you know as you mentioned i think you know while it's not perfect because we would all love to have, you know, normal playoff hockey with, you know, sold out buildings and just raucous crowds. That's obviously not possible right now. And everyone's health and safety comes first. So this is definitely the next best thing because there is indeed playoff hockey to watch and talk about. And that's a very exciting thing. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. Thanks to everyone for sticking with us through this episode 
and hopefully uh, coming out uh, unscathed and hopefully a little bit more educated on a number of topics. Uh, as a reminder, the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com and Deal Dash. Uh, also, please check out all our work at reviewjournal.com. We're doing our best work to put out some really, really good stuff for you guys, despite kind of all the logistical challenges uh, that come with uh, this unprecedented time. Uh, also, remember to please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts do to this one. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, for Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon.